But listen, because we just sang this. He who did not spare his own son gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Now, this is the part I want us to catch, because today as we talk about repentance, things are going to get nasty, okay? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Not your right behavior, not your ability, not your knowledge, not your theology. It's God who justifies. So as we step into this morning, I'm really glad that you're here. I'm really glad everyone took the time to commit to worshiping together. And I'm really glad that we do so around the word of God that is our guide, that is our final and ultimate authority. But I have to make sure that we're all in the same position because I think this is critical. I think it's easy for us to just come in on Sunday morning and just kind of expect to hear something. But we have to do a little work in terms of preparation. So as we get started, let me just say this. In the stillness of your heart, I'm going to give you a moment to just praise God for his character. Think of his holiness. Think of his justice. Think of his love. Think of his mercy. Think of his forgiveness. And just for a moment, stay there. Now I want to encourage us to just pause and reflect on this last week. Is there anything that I have not sought God out for in terms of repentance? Is there anything in my heart, any sin that I have been retaining, that I've been hiding, that I have kept from or from others? Right now, just take the time in the stillness of your heart to just offer that to God. And finally, Isaiah 43, 19 says this. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the and rivers in the desert. So pause now and take a moment to just ask the Lord to help you perceive what's happening. Because okay, you can see me, you can like me, you can not like my words, you can think I'm annoying, whatever it is, right? But there's something much bigger happening here. There's something about what's going on in the spiritual realm that we want to understand. And we don't want to just rush past this. God does his work in our hearts, and I can't see your hearts. He can. And so you need to ask the Lord, what is it that you want to do in me and in us as a church. So take some time now to ask the Lord that you what he's doing.
Father, we praise you for who you are and what you've done. We pause and and remind ourselves of those areas this week that we've not lived fully surrendered to you. We confess those to you. We thank you for your forgiveness. We ask for it that you would restore us and, and we ask that your spirit open our eyes to what you want to accomplish right here, right now, this morning, in this moment. So peel away all veils of distraction and difficulty and help us to be dialed into your word this morning. Amen. So you've heard the term life's work. You're going to notice that, uh, sorry, just as an aside, um, I, I have some family business to attend to next week, so I won't be here when I should have preached, and Micah, gracious enough as he was to switch, will be bringing, uh, if you're following this like in order and you're like, wait, this isn't the next letter, Doug, easy, you'll get that installment next week, um, but we're jumping ahead to Thyatira, and uh, chapter 2 of Revelation. Turn to the very end of your Bible, then a few pages back, find chapter 2. You'll get there. And uh, find verse 18. That's where we're going to be parked at today. But as you're doing that, let me just ask you this question. Have you guys heard the term, uh, this guy's life's work or life work? What do you think when you hear that? Just go ahead and toss it out. What are some things that you think of? Art. Art. (laughs) That was booming. Anybody else? What do you think of when you think of someone's life's work? Perseverance. Perseverance. What else? Legacy. Yeah, I think just in terms of uh, what's someone known for. When When I consider a person or when I consider like an athlete, you know, I think of like what's their life's work? Oh, well, they have like a a legacy or a record book or something that attaches. greatness to their name or maybe infamy to their name. Maybe they did something really stupid and that's what they're known for. That's like their life's work was like a whole lot of dumb things that they did. That could classify me for many years. But here's, here's what I want to touch on. In, in our passage today, five different times you're going to see this term work used or works. And, and it's not used in terms of like works-based righteousness, but it's more used in terms how are you living? What are you chasing after? What are you known for? And so Jesus has something to say to the church in Thyatira about what their life's work is or what their work is that they're adopting. And we're going to dive into that. But before we get there, um, just a little background on the city of Thyatira. Um, it was the smallest of all the seven cities in, in population. And um, it had the longest letter of all seven letters in Revelation 2 and Revelation 3. It had the longest letter, but it was the smaller, smallest church. Kind of makes one wonder, doesn't it? Huh. Why would Jesus spend more time on the smallest? Just kind of captures my attention. It was a commercial town with trade guilds. That's not really a term we use today unless you're into some like fantasy video game online. Like, oh, guilds. Like, who says guild? Nobody. But like, maybe to make it a little bit more relatable, uh, think unions, okay? We're familiar with that term, like the uh, pipe fitters union or the electrical union or the plumbers union or whatever it might be. It's, it's basically different veins of commercial enterprise. And so uh, this city was known for like cloth and bronze and um, pottery. And we see only one other mention of Thyatira in, in the Bible. It's in, actually in the book of Acts, 
in Acts chapter 16 when Paul's on one of his missionary journeys and he bumps into Lydia, who is a trader of purple cloth uh, from Thyatira. Now, purple cloth was hard to come by. It was the color of royalty. It was something that took a little bit of effort to get. Um, So we know just from those little pieces that she would have been somebody who was of substantial, potentially, wealth and influence. Um, But that's the only real mention that we have of Thyatira in Scripture. But one of the things that is is helpful to note about Thyatira in general is that um, each of these guilds or each of these trade um, unions, if you will, had a patron god, like a, a deity made up that they would in order to gain um, prosperity, in order to gain affluence in their particular guild. And so um, it's hard for us to imagine this. We don't really think like this, uh, but maybe we do. Have you considered those, those office environments where you have office parties that you are inclined to participate in and your lack of participation means that you don't, you're not really for your company? Um, think of it in those terms. That might be helpful. But here's, here's what would happen. Uh, they would worship these gods, these patron gods, in order to gain favor. And some of the things that they would do is they would, um, they would sacrifice animals in the temples of these gods. And then after the sacrifice, they cook up the meat and they would eat this animal, like the food sacrifice to idols. And then um, after that, these guilds, these little unions would get together and they would party hard. You know, just a ton of uh, alcohol flowing freely to the point of drunkenness. And then they would invite in sexual favors. And you're like, uh, that's weird. Actually, it's going to be what we read about today. It's going to be exactly what we read about. And so it's, it's crazy, but basically your participation in that meant your inclusion in the community. And you're like, well, that's no big deal. As a Christian, you just stand up and you say no to that nonsense. Okay, well... Now, how are you going to financially? Because being included in one of these guilds actually meant that you would be someone who, like, you had some standing in the community, and it ensured your family's welfare and everything going forward. So, like, if you don't somehow engage, then what? Now I've got your attention. Let me ask you this question. What do you think it would be like to be a Christian in that environment? What do you think it would be like to be salt and light in that sort of darkness? Okay, and fast forward a few thousand years, what do you think it's like to be a Christian now? What do you think you are expected to participate in and affirm now? I'm a moving target, right? I can name my gender. If I don't like being a guy today, I'll be a girl tomorrow. Right? Ridiculous. God's over here saying, What is it like to be a Christian now? Because what we're going to find is that our life's work, what we're known for, better not be my job. So if you walk away with nothing else, I hope you stick with this this morning and it'll come out that the work of repentance is what we should be known for. But the work of repentance keeps us humble and rooted. Okay? Repentance keeps us humble and rooted. The first two verses of our passage today, 2, 18 and 19, says this. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works. 
your love and faith and service and patient endurance and that your latter works exceed the first. So we're looking at this idea of works today. Good works in the first verse there. Condemned works in the next couple of verses. Judgment and the work of repentance in the following verses. And then Christ's works and our reward. So looking at the good works of Thyatira, he wrote two pairs. He talks about love and service and faith and endurance. And he says they're known for these things. You see, embracing the convictions of Jesus actually pleases Jesus. And Jesus notes them for this. Hey, in Thyatira, this is what you're known for. You're known for love and service. So this is where a church like us would really be commended. Because we are a church who loves people and serves them. Our love for others produces service. I I could think through a hundred examples in my own life, but probably the most poignant one is when my daughter got sick and, and we had to take a step back from ministry and you guys, as the church, served and served us in ways that I, I still, it brings me to tears if I talk about it too long. So that's all you get this morning. But the, the reality is love leads to service. If you love somebody, you're going to serve them. And then he talks about this idea of, of faith and endurance. You see, faith in Christ assures us, or in this case, Thyatira, that endurance would lead to something greater. They know they're hanging on for something better than the garbage they're going through. And so this is a church that was loving others and serving them well. It was faithfully enduring difficulty that it was facing. And it says that your latter works exceeded the first, which means you're a church that's actually... So this is a church that's about action in the community and things of this nature, and they're growing. That's awesome. I don't want to spend a ton of time there, um, but I I do want to just return real quick to the verse at the beginning in in verse 18 where it says, Jesus, the Son of God. You're like, oh, yeah, Son of God. He says that all the time, Son of Man, Son of God. You see it in Mark. You see it in all these places. Actually, it's kind of interesting. It, It happens 32 times in all the New Testament, but only this one time in Revelation. And you're like, well, why in the world would that be significant? It's significant because the patron god of all of Thyatira was Apollos, which was the son of was God in, their, in Greek mythology. And so this picture was a play on words even in the letter because Apollos was the son of God. That was his nickname. And so when it says, here comes Jesus, eyes like fire, he sees everything, he knows everything, and he's got burnished bronze like on his feet, like he's powerful, guess what? He's the son of God. You think you've got the patron God of Paulus like as the son of God? Here's the true son of God, capital S. Buckle up. And so it just he comes right after it. I am the son of God. So their good works are great. But again, we want to continue to remember that the work of repentance keeps us humble and rooted. Verses 20 and 21 say this. But... I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Remember our description of Thyatira? There's a ton of sexual immorality happening. There's eating food sacrificed to idols. It makes sense in this context. And then it says this, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. So let's just consider for a second. 
Ephesus, our first church, had lost their first love. They didn't love people well, they well. And so they were actually harsh with their exercise of the truth. So if, if Jezebel shows up on their doorstep and is like, hey, I've got a pretty sweet teaching I'd like to share with you. Instead of learning how to lovingly correct her or to stop what she's doing, Ephesus would have said, no way, out. And there's a time for that, for sure. But if, if Ephesus is no way, not a chance, Thyatira is, hey, let's roll out the red carpet for this person. Here she comes. Now, you might be wondering, well, what, what do we make of this term or this woman, Jezebel? Now, there's some debate among scholars and a few others as, as to who this Jezebel might be. One will say, like, yeah, it's, it's an actual woman named Jezebel who lived there. Well, yeah, but, like, Jezebel had come to be synonymous with, like, idol worship and sexual immorality. So it'd be really hard to think that somebody would willingly say, I'm going to name you Jezebel. Like, <laughs> Just probably not a great name choice there. And so that doesn't really hold as much weight. There, there are some other references, but basically it is a reference back to 1 Kings chapter 16. I'm not going to go there and read the passage. You can go there. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 29 through 33. It looks at this idea of Jezebel and Ahab. Pretty powerful, pretty over the top. But one of the things that we need to note is that in 1 Kings 16, it says that Ahab did more, and this is because of his wife provoking him, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, of God, the Lord God to anger than any other king. And it's because Jezebel was ushered in and brought in this whole idea of like, hey, we can do Baal worship and we can also do, you know, worship of God. That's fine. The two can just kind of coexist and God's like, I don't share my glory. I'm sorry. It doesn't go to somebody else and partially here and partially there. It's all mine. So don't mess with that. And Jezebel kept doing it. She provoked the, the prophets of Baal to one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament where like, you know, they're calling down fire from heaven. Nothing's happening. They're worshiping their God. Nothing is happening. And, 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 and Elijah, like, he gets a little sarcastic, and he's like, hey, maybe your God's taking a leak somewhere, and he's just kind of, like, literally, read it for yourself, okay? He, he says these things like he's making fun of the fact that this idol's God is nothing. And then he, he, he makes sure that the altar, on the altar is, is covered and doused in water, and then God shows up in a powerful way. And, and we see this picture that God is not going to share his glory. He's not going to split our affinity between he wants all of us. And so the condemned works that we see in Jezebel is something that the church in Thyatira had begun to just kind of passively say that's okay. You'll see this unfold in the passage that basically in Thyatira there's, there's stuff happening and, and the church at large is not all engaged, but they're also not kicking her out. They're also not putting a stop to it. So they're kind of culpable. They're kind of still there just kind of doing their thing. And, and so the condemned works that we see here, it's so important for us to recognize that love without truth makes tolerance and or if I love someone, but I don't have the truth of God, then I think that I must tolerate everything. Now, there's actually many things that God says you don't tolerate. 
And as Christians in this hypersensitive, I'm offended by every word that comes out of your mouth sort of culture that we live in, that I'm probably going to be canceled for what I said 10 minutes ago. In this day and age, we think tolerance is, is, is the mother of all virtues. And it's just not. It's just not. You see, this is what's happening in our day. In Isaiah 5, we learn that there are some who called evil good and good evil. They just flipped the definition. Jesus, later on in the passage, calls these people who have adopted this teaching, he calls the teaching the deep things of Satan. You're like, that sounds pretty heavy. Perhaps it's time that we start calling sin what it is instead of being nervous that people around us are going to be offended that we're calling it sin. Perhaps it's time for us to actually call sin what it is, demonic, okay? It is of the devil, it is demonic, and it's important for us to say that because if we don't, we're going to real quickly get caught up in this idea of trying to make things palatable and sweet and smooth, and I don't want to offend you, and get over it, okay? We need to call things what God calls them, and in this case, it is food sacrifice, participating in the things that these guilds would do in order to gain favor, okay? Just, you know yourselves. What are the things that you participate in in a way that is not honoring to the Lord that you think will gain you acceptance? Is it gossip? Is it spewing your opinion online about political activism or racial injustice or the vaccine rollout? I don't know. What is it? Get real. And the second thing is sexual immorality. I want to park here for just a second. Okay. Statistics show that 64% of men and 15 to 20% of Christian women, that is a large chunk of you and me. Right here in this building, listening right now, eyes on me, struggle and have viewed pornography at least once in the last month. 65% of you men have done this. 65%. 15 to 20% of women the same. Do you know 50%, 50% of evangelical confessing Christians actually thinks it's sometimes okay and, and mostly all right to, to sleep with someone who's not your spouse. We are calling evil good. And we're thinking it's fine. We're just brushing it under the rug. We're saying, God, do whatever you want, man. We will come. And God's like, no, 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 no. The work of repentance will keep you humble and rooted. If you miss repentance, you're going to miss everything. And you have to understand that five out of the seven of these churches, the primary call is repentance. It's because it's easy to get off track. 13 to 24-year-olds actually say that it is worse for you not to recycle than to look at porn. Let that sink in. That's horrible. That is horrible. I'm more concerned about where my aluminum can goes than where my eyes go and where it eats. That ought to break us. You see, Romans 6 says this, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness? Whose slave are you? 
Whose slave are you? Obedience matters. So then Jesus turns the corner and he, and he looks at this idea of, okay, what are the condemned works of this Jezebel? Now, now what? <laughs> now what's next? Well, it's judgment and the work of repentance. You see, in judgment and the work of repentance, we are invited to align ourselves with God. You see, repentance is always about an invitation. God will not twist your arm into repenting. God's not going to go, get, get. He will, do, he will do this passive and active thing when it comes to the judgment and wrath that he wants to pour out. And I'll talk about that in just a minute. But verses 22 and 23 say this. Behold, I will throw, where's it at? Behold, I will throw her in, onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation. Repent of her works. There's that word work again. And I will strike her children dead. Um, it's pretty straightforward. <laughs> and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. What's your life work? This is what he's asking them. What's your life's work? Now, just real quick, touching on those three concepts, throwing her onto a sickbed, great tribulation, and children dead, I'll say this. Are there physical ramifications for your ongoing sin? We don't like this kind of talk in the New Testament church era because we're like, well, God's a God of love and God's a God of grace, and there's really... Okay, granted. But you could read in the book of Acts, and Ananias and Sapphira chose to lie to the Holy Spirit, and they were consumed dead in the moment. Okay? In 1 Corinthians, we read that the church there was abusing the Lord's Supper, and what happened? It says then some were weak, some were sick, and some even died. You're like, oh. Well, what's that mean? It means you take sin seriously. <laughs> right? It means you take it seriously. If you don't, it's going to take you. Well, I've got it under control. The heck you do. There ain't nobody in here who's got their sin under control. I mean, come on, folks. Let's wake up and smell the coffee and understand that something much bigger that's happening here. And actually, one of the, one of the things that just really captures my attention is that God was patient with Jezebel. It says, I gave her time to repent, but she refused to. It's not like God just first act of immorality. He's like, boom, you're done. No, it continued and continued and continued and continued. And God in his divine forbearance finally said, this far and no further. And then it was done. She was chucked from a window. You can read about it in 2 Kings 9, maybe. And the prophecy of her death, it's like basically her hands and her skull remained. The rest of her body eaten up by dogs. That's in the Bible. Again, the Bible's awesome. I don't know if you picked up on this. Pick it up. Read it. Like, spend time in it. It's going to blow your mind. And so there's, there's some really amazing things that we can read about in Scripture. But one of the things that always captures me is, is Romans chapter 2. Because he says, Do you presume on the, kindness, on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. And so the question then becomes, um, are you sinning without consequence? Seek God now. It's pretty clear. It's very clear, in fact. Jezebel misinterpreted God's tolerance as his delay. Look, he's never coming. 
and, and grew more haughty and arrogant by day until finally chucked from a window and gone. There is a seriousness with which we need to approach sin. And so you see that. I, I would just say this. We're called to employ the patience of God in repenting. Because look what happens in verse 5 of Romans chapter 2. It says, But because of your hard heart and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render each one according to So maybe it's best to look at sin as transactional. Maybe it's helpful to say, okay, now let's stick with this idea of sexual immorality because again, six and a half of you men in here and, and two out of ten of you men in here are struggling with this, okay? Let's just stick with that for a minute and just say transactional. I hop online and choose to look at something that I'm not supposed to. I know I made a covenant to God and I'm still looking at something that I shouldn't. And I, and I, and I just hand a dollar bill over to this person next to me and I'm storing up wrath. I'm just, I just keep handing it over as a transaction until finally like it's going to be held, held, held and then all of a sudden it's just going to be poured out on me. God's kindness works this way, where he says, hey, look, are you 757 acts of immorality in? I'm still for you. I still want to forgive you. I still want to restore you. I still want to see your marriage healed. Are you willing to repent? I gave her time to repent, but she refused. And most of us, let's be honest, most of us refuse because of the person sitting next to us. Most of us are like, uh, I mean, I don't know if I want them to know my stuff. Okay, keep living in it. Enjoy that lack of freedom because that's what it's going to turn. And most of us, we don't like that. That just makes us really uncomfortable. We're meant to employ the patience of God in repenting. You say, well, I want victory. How many of you want victory? I mean, like, seriously, I want victory, right? I, I, I suspect many of us are content to escape judgment, though. Well, I don't want that bad crud to happen to me, so yeah, I want to repent. No, no, sorry. That's really not going to get you very far. It's actually helpful to say it this way. If, if all I'm content with is escaping judgment, then I will be someone who actually tolerates sin. Hello? They just kind of let it happen right under their nose, not exposing it, not dealing with it, not cutting it off. You see, victory can't come without freedom. And freedom doesn't come without repentance. It just doesn't. And repentance is a change of mind and heart, a very change in the core of who we are that says, I've been seeking an empty well to give me water. Actually, sexual morality in Proverbs chapter 5, if you read about it, is talked about that. It's talked about like that. Like, you're going to go after another man's wife thinking it will satisfy? Guess what? It won't. It's like running to a dry well and saying, fill up my gallon jug. You're getting... And here we are, as a culture, as a church, losing our witness because we are people who have tolerated something that God has called evil. All the while, God's saying, hey, look, the truth sets you free. And he does this because he wants all the churches to know him. And the only way that he begins for all the churches to know him 
is for each individual believer in every church, every person right now listening to this, every butt on a pew in here has a part to play in the witness of this church for Jesus Christ. Every one of you. Every one of you. And so you say, well, that's hard. That's right. It's the work of repentance that keeps you humble, saying, I need you, Jesus, and keeps you rooted, saying, only my freedom comes in you, Jesus, not in my good works. And so finally, it's about his works. Let's read verses 24 through 29. He says this, But to the rest of you in Thyatira, this is all those who haven't messed up, (laughs) who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other, only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end. Again, it started out with her works, Jezebel's works, then your works, what they adopted from Jezebel. Now he's saying, hey, look, it's my works. I want you to keep my works until the end. To him, I will give authority over the nations. Now just pause. That's a direct quote from Psalm chapter 2. And in Psalm chapter 2 is a messianic psalm. It's a psalm that's all about Jesus. It's quoted a number of times in the New Testament. In every context it's quoted, it's about Jesus being the victorious one. This is the only context in which it is quoted about the believer. What do you think that says? What do you think that says about who Jesus named us to be? We are co-heirs with him. We reign with him because of him, not because of us. And so Psalm chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, you can go there if you want. I'm not going to take the time now. But it will, it will unpack that reality that when we adopt his work as our own, meaning when we take up faith in him and confess and repent, then we get a rule with him. We'll experience the victory that we so desperately long for because we are free in him. And he says, and he will rule with them Rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken pieces or broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That, that short blip in verse 28 where it says, I will give him the morning star, um, it's, it's the gift of his presence. You see it in 2 Peter 1, verse 19, I think, and it's super powerful rendering of of how the morning star rises in our hearts. Um, You can go there and read it on your own, but it's just the person and presence of Jesus. It's huge. So maybe let's do this kind of as we... Let's ask this question. What is your life's work? Because if there's anything I want you to hear, it's that the work of repentance keeps you humble and it keeps you rooted. And there's ways to go about this. As as the band comes back up to play the last song and, and we dismiss you, I want to read one passage and then I'm going to call you guys to respond. I'm going to call you out of your complacency. I'm going to call you out of your fear. I'm going to call you out of your shame. I'm going to ask you to rise above that. And I'm going to say that there will be elders and other people who are prayer warriors who will be present. As soon as the song is done, the the band will dismiss you. But I want you to take heed. 
I want you to recognize that God didn't save you for a constant struggle. God didn't save you in order that you could be um, encouraged and on the mountaintop one minute and in the valley the next, not recognizing that he's created you to be victorious. He wants you to win a victory over the sin that you have, the sin that you've embraced, the sin that you've lived in, that you've coddled for so long. And that comes when you humble yourself and you repent. You repent. You turn and have a different course of action. Begin today. It can begin when you choose to say, hey, as this song's playing, let it stir in your hearts. Let yourself ask the Lord, have I embraced something that I shouldn't have? Particularly with sexual immorality. Are you here and you need to confess that? You could keep doing what's not working. I'll just say it that way. You could keep doing what's not working. Or you can address God on his terms, which is repentance. And so there'll be people who are available and around. Um, but listen to Ephesians. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. But your life works. So that they boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. His desire is that your life's work is one of repentance one that continues to return to him. 